Welcome to the Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. Well, welcome to Keys of the Kingdom. If you want to get notices of all the broadcasts as they go out and as they uh, become available, you need to join the network, which is an email network. Not a lot of burdensome emails coming in, but it'll give you notices. But the key thing is the network itself. And there's two networks. There's one is just an email network, and the other one is a living network. The email network puts you on a on an email group based on your geographical location. But really, the way to get to know people is to actually join the Living Network, which is you become a part of a congregation of record. Now, this was very critical in the early church. And a lot of things were going on in the early church. There was global warming, and then there was global cooling, and there was... Uh, dictators rising to power uh, there was persecution by the medical system there was persecution by the political system there were persecution even by radical religious groups and uh, there was persecution by the government and why all this was going about well that's what we're trying to let you know the keys of the kingdom so that you know how all that that went on back then relates to today and so but the problem is is that you get a lot of the information that you have in your head from other people and from news sources and from books and from wherever they get get them from that are misleading you and so how do you know so many people don't know what was going on at the time of christ and what the early church was doing I'm sure they had flu viruses or some sort of viruses, and they certainly had diseases. Actually, you know, I I heard in the news where they were talking, I was AOC again, always a newsworthy uh, commentator from uh, Congress who was saying that the reference to the coronavirus being the Wuhan virus from China was somehow a racist statement. And uh, I didn't see it, but somebody was telling me that uh, somebody put together a collage of just about every newscaster on TV was using the word Wuhan virus. That was what everybody called it when it was first uh, appearing on the scene. And uh, that was because it was first reported in a place called Wuhan. And so everybody called it the Wuhan virus. It wasn't until I think almost 45 days later that it was named something else other than the Wuhan virus. I won't say what it was actually named because most people have never heard what it was actually named. And exactly when and why exactly they named it a certain way is part of this, what we're going to be talking about. But uh, what we really want to get into is what is blocking people's minds from seeing what's really going on out there in the world. A lot of people want to know what's really going on. They look at the news. They look at CNN. They look at MSNBC. They look at their news feed in their Facebook. And they get all kinds of stories about what's supposedly going on with the the Wuhan virus, and we'll call it that 
right now. Uh, one of the uh, things that came out, somebody said, oh, it first appeared in a fish market and they made references to the fact that over there some people serve bat soup and of course uh, there have been viruses that have come from bats and and cooking uh, and, you know, in proximity to bats and getting onto pigs and viruses. I mean, I think, I think the movie Contagion kind of starts with that kind of scenario. The reality is in Wuhan there is a uh, institute where they store viruses, all kinds of viruses, and they study these viruses. And it was actually built and designed by uh, an individual from the United States who I think he was uh, Harvard, maybe Princeton, uh, college professor, and he was paid like a million dollars to go over there. And actually there's been talk behind the scenes of actually charging him because supposedly information that he gave to the Chinese is classified information, but I don't know. And that's really irrelevant. Did it come out of that storage unit? It's a possibility. There were some stories that came out early on about uh, disruption in, in that uh, storage institute that studied these viruses. And uh, there was actually some video that leaked out of people struggling in a hallway, security people struggling in a hallway with somebody wearing a mask and all this kind of stuff. And we might get into some of the psychology of of why it is dangerous to create these institutes and uh, why some of the protocols are sometimes not followed. But let's, let's deal with this, this phenomena because basically this is a flu virus. It's not anything new. Uh, it, it's a new strain of a flu virus and there's a lot of information available as to how Flu viruses actually operate, and it may go over the head of most people to even discuss such things. But the reality is is that these uh, flu viruses, like the coronavirus, and the, the name coronavirus has actually been around for 50, 60 years. I think it was uh, first named way back in the 1960s. But there are numerous strands of coronavirus. And one of them is the SARS coronavirus of 2003. And uh, that was a COVID virus as well. And that has to do with uh, this crown or wreath shape that it has. It has all these little proteins on it. And to, to get you some understanding of what a virus is, a virus, and, and this is replicated throughout nature, that some things don't reproduce through procreation. They don't reproduce themselves. They're parasitical reproducers. They require that, that they enter into another living thing and they use that other living thing to reproduce the virus. And that's how it works. And I could go into all the different factors of reproduction of uh which they actually don't even call reproduction, they call it replication of the virus. And it has to get into a human being and use the RNA genome and uh, reproduce itself through a chain. And it's very complicated. 
it actually has uh, checks and balances in its own system to make sure that it's reduplicated correctly, just like it was before. And it's using your living cells to do it. Now, some coronaviruses aren't dangerous to people. They get into things like chickens. They get into things like pigs. And they reproduce there. Most viruses come from uh, some sort of waterfowl, like ducks or geese or something. And then they have to get into another uh, mammal, such as pigs. And then they may change because this reproduction in these living tissues is not always the same and if they change enough where they can now get into a human being a human being becomes a kind of a petri dish of reproducing the virus and then he gives it to somebody else and the reality is most flu viruses have come out of china most of the ones that we have you know uh, checked off because there's a section in, in China, actually all over China, but there's certain areas that where this is very prominent that they, they grow pork and waterfowl in the same cages. If a bird, like a goose or a duck, dies, they feed that to the pig. So the pig has this contact with the waterfowl and eventually the pig also being consumed and in contact with human beings gives the opportunity of those RNA uh, polymerase reproduction, or not, I shouldn't say reproduction again, uh, the, the uh, uh, replication morphs into something else that allows an individual to get this flu that maybe only pigs got, maybe only uh, ducks got, maybe only other uh, animals got but now all of a sudden it's in the human genome and it's being reproduced by a human then he coughs or touches somebody else and it travels to another one which is kind of interesting that this this virus started in Wuhan according to the Chinese some people are actually saying that the, you know it originally it started in the U.S. as a part of a military project. Because the fact is the U.S. has been studying these viruses for a long time in in the military because of the fact that they, the original idea is that they wanted to know how this is done to protect Americans against germ warfare that somebody else might do. And uh, But it's all irrelevant. It doesn't really have anything to do with what is really important to you. Where it came from, I mean, it could have come from outer space for all that matters. But the fact is, it's here. And it's moving around. And I've, those who have been listening to the show regularly, I've told you uh, a week or so ago, we had the flu go through this house. And everybody in this house got the flu at different stages. And we thought it was just a coronavirus, not the coronavirus. And a neighbor was tested for coronavirus, and it was a coronavirus because they also had the flu, and they're elderly individual in their 80s, maybe almost in their 90s now. And they recovered, uh, but they had gone into a hospital or to a hospital or to a doctor emergency and were tested, and they said it was a coronavirus. But now I've talked to people who... 
uh, understand these tests and what tests can be ordered and how long the tests take. And there's actually a series of tests to find out if it is the coronavirus. And evidently she didn't have that test. And so it could have been the coronavirus that everybody is so concerned about. And now also that we have a lot more information about the symptoms of the coronavirus, it appears that we've already had the coronavirus in this house, and we all survived. And uh, uh, some of the interesting things that uh, we also found out talking to people that uh, deal with this on a day-to-day basis, it's kind of our behind-the-scenes network where we can talk to people who are actually in the midst of things, and, and, and I've read a lot of articles about it. And it's amazing. If you only listen to the hype at the news channel, you may miss the real information. Although, if you listen to enough of them, you may get enough data that you realize that the news media is coming to the wrong conclusions. They do not understand what is really going on. Uh, because the fact is, most news announcers, they're uh, kind of a pretty face and a good sounding voice. And they're not really that smart. At least that's what I see today. I mean, there's been jokes about that. There's been comedy shows about the fact that news announcers who are supposedly giving you all this good information are just reading off of a teleprompter. And they actually don't know what they're saying. Of course, we just had recently where two news people were doing the math concerning the amount of money that uh, one of the candidates spent to get into the campaign. He's now since dropped out, but that was like $500 million. And they were saying he could have given a million dollars to every man, woman, and child in the United States. Well, that actually doesn't work out mathematically. But there they are on air. Doing the math, it actually comes out to a couple of bucks, not even a couple of bucks, two dollars, a dollar fifty or something like that, to every man, woman, and child in, in the United States, not a million dollars apiece. But they're saying it as if it's fact, and, and you're thinking like, somebody's gotta stop them. <laughs> but that's, that's because we, we have a tendency to listen Without putting facts together, without fitting the pieces of the puzzle together. We've done the same thing with reading the Bible. A lot of information in the Bible, a lot of stories in the Bible, a lot of accounts in the Bible. And we're finding out more and more that many of these accounts actually do have historical evidence Around them, a lot of people want to even say, oh, there's no evidence that Jesus ever existed. Nobody ever wrote about him but the Bible. Well, the reality is all kinds of people wrote about him. There's all kinds of evidence that he existed. But they say that and some people just grab onto that idea because they want to believe that Jesus never existed. Now, the Jesus that's in your mind, he may never have existed except in your mind. But the real Jesus existed. I don't know what's in your mind. But that's why we talk about it so that maybe if you have some ideas in your mind about Jesus that ain't so, we can get that sorted out. And we look at this process of people looking at the coronavirus, panicking about the coronavirus. And we're going to look at how people's minds can be led away, how they can be missing 
very basic information about the coronavirus and jumping to conclusions that just ain't so because they missed some very basic facts about this coronavirus. And uh, so anyway, I I sent an email to myself with some of the notes that I picked up, you know, and put it on my phone and then mailed it to myself so we could look at this. And, and one of the quotes, the first quotes that I saw was, as the impact of the coronavirus grows, politics has not waned. Suffice it to say, none of this is helpful. And all of it is designed to polarize the country at a time we require concerted actions. And so the impact of coronavirus grows. Well, the impact of coronavirus is actually very, very small. Very few people have gotten it, supposedly. Very few people have died from it. Uh, the original estimates of death by coronavirus is like 1% to 5%, which is actually kind of low for a virus. But where are you getting these statistics? How are they accumulated? And what is really going on? And this is some of the things that, just looking at news reports, I saw that there was a serious problem with people talking about the threat of coronavirus. And one of the stories that I came up with was uh actual interview with people on that cruise ship that had the coronavirus and they they were quarantined. They weren't they were all you know, the people who were sick were put into separate rooms and then other people who were not supposedly sick didn't show any symptoms were put in another room. But everybody was getting tested on this ship because they had this closed environment and they could examine and see how things are operating. They're just learning about the coronavirus. Well, one of the interesting t- statistics is that more than half of the people on the ship that were infected by the coronavirus, and we know they were infected because they were tested in the complex series of tests that are necessary to find out uh, if you have the actual coronavirus where they can actually check the genetics of the virus, more than half of the people never showed any symptoms. But they got the coronavirus and they got immunity to the coronavirus. But they never showed any symptoms. So when they say 12,000 people in Italy got the coronavirus, where is that figure coming from? That's coming from hospitals that took the time and the money and the, the, the ingenuity of medical science to determine that 12,000 people actually had the coronavirus. But if more than half of the ship did not show any symptoms and would not have been tested except for the fact that they were on that ship, you wouldn't include them in that 12,000 figures. So we can assume, safely assume, that at least 24,000 Italians got the coronavirus because we know that more than half will not show any symptoms, but they will get the virus. So all of a sudden, the the calculation that 5% of the Italians died from the coronavirus drops to 2.5%. 
Now if we take into consideration the fact that the only ones getting tested are the people who get severely ill and check into a hospital or to a doctor and get tested. Had somebody been traveling, came down with flu-like symptoms in the town next to us, you know, population 300 in that town, and they called the hospital to make an appointment because they have these flu-like symptoms and they wanted to go in and be tested. And the hospital said, don't even come because you're not at risk. You're not elderly, diabetic, uh, person with lung problems. So they said, don't even come. So he's not going to be in that statistics of people who got the coronavirus. But he's one of those that are showing symptoms but isn't welcome at the hospital. So he's not going to be counted in there. So if half the people just treat it as a flu and maybe their symptoms are like a bad cold, they're not going to go to the hospital and be counted either. And so now you can think that, well, maybe there's 36,000 people who have the coronavirus. If they're now fearing being isolated and quarantined, if they go into the hospital, there may even be more people not going to the hospital and just treating it. So now the the percentage of people that die from it drops down to maybe 1% or less. So when they are talking about the effects of coronavirus, they're not actually talking about the effects of the virus. They're talking about the pandemonium and panic. It's not the pandemic. It's the panic that is causing devastation and changes and repercussions throughout society. And what is driving the panic? Well, certainly the media wants panic because panic sells. Everybody watches the TV. Everybody watches and listens to the radio and the programs to find out what's going on. But the more they listen, the less they know. Same thing with people who study the Bible. If you study it in the wrong mindset and and the wrong uh, position of thought then you may totally misunderstand the Bible and it may lead you away from the very thing you should be seeking, which is the kingdom of God and the righteousness of God. And we can give you plenty of examples in history, the Crusades. A lot of injustices happened with the Crusades. Uh, the uh, persecutions that came uh, with the 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 institution where the church is looking for heretics and people are being tried and burned at the stake, driven out of their homes because they have a different opinion of what is in the biblical text. And so therefore they are persecuted. And you have the inquisitions of thousands, even millions of people uh, being driven out of their homes and even killed Because somebody evidently misinterpreted the Bible. When did that begin? It actually began before the Bible was even written. At least the New Testament was even written. And we'll talk about that when we come back to the keys of the kingdom. But we're also going to reveal a lot more about what you can do about the coronavirus. So welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom. So we were talking about this virus. And again, remember, viruses don't reproduce themselves. They're reproduced inside of another 
living creature. The same thing is true about lies and deception. Lies and deception do not reproduce themselves. Requires people to reproduce them <laughs> and carry them from one person to the next and creep into people's thinking through the interaction with other people and then be passed on to somebody else. And so that's a, that's a characteristic of a lie that is also the characteristic of a virus. So anyway, uh, one quote I saw was when viruses like uh, such SARS and COVID-19 emerges, the race begins to find a new vaccine and uh, treatment for those affected. Well, before we're done, we're going to show you some of the things that you can do to help you alleviate uh, the problem of the uh, COVID-19 if you get it. Uh, if And that's if you get it, and if symptoms appear in you, because you may get it and no symptoms appear in you. And here's the thought. If someone gets the virus, no symptoms appear, but their body produces the antigens that stop that virus from making them sick, is it possible that that person can pass on that immunity to someone else. Certainly, they have a robust immune system. And that robust immune system is passed on through procreation to the next generation. And we've talked in several shows past with talking about the uh, the number of Indians who died from the diseases that came from Europe and the number of Europeans that died from diseases that came uh, that were already here in America and the number of Europeans who died when the plagues went through Europe back in the 1200s and 1100s when they were developing all these trade routes throughout Europe and they were bringing diseases from the Far East and from wherever. And these diseases and even bacteria, many of the pilgrims were having uh, problems with not only with lack of food but in uh, keeping that food and their health up because they were suffering from things like diarrhea. Which you can, if you were to go down to Mexico, you could get what they call Montezuma's Revenge. What's happening is you're being exposed to bacterias in your system that are common down there in Mexico, but not so common up in maybe Detroit. A lot of people don't realize that when some Mexicans would come up to the United States, now this was years ago, they would suffer the same problem with diarrhea in their intestines because of the fact that they weren't used to the bacteria that was up here. And so the reality is that whenever you went to a new place, there was a danger of running into not only bacterias but also viruses that your body had to adjust to and when that adjustment period certain things would happen in your body which is part of the protective mechanism and then eventually your body adjusts and you're okay and you can go down to Mexico and you don't have the problem although one of the things I do always like to bring up is the fact that plumbers have done more to sustain the health of society than doctors 
A lot of people don't want me to say that. But the reality is, if you did not have plumbing, fresh drinking water, and millions of millions of people just defecating into water supplies and on the streets and and all this stuff, you were, would have had lots and lots of diseases running throughout the population of the United States. Now, we actually see in the news with places like San Francisco and Los Angeles and evidently some other cities, you were, were finding more and more of that defecation in the street. I had friends who just came back from China not very long ago, and they saw that on a regular basis. I talked to people uh, from Europe, and they they would see that kind of stuff in uh, places even like France. Uh, not always defecating around in the streets, but if you go into the restrooms, they, I mean, some some of the French restrooms were just a hole in the floor, and you know the public restrooms, and filthy, dirty, and uh, if you. Don't have a way of washing your hands and washing yourself. This is one of the first things that Moses was teaching the people in the Bible that you had to wash. You had to wash your hands, wash your feet. You couldn't be around people who were raising pigs. And we've explained before that was because of the 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 parasites in those pigs were devastating whole societies. And and people were dying before they were 40 years old because of the amount of parasites in that society. And there was no escape from it. The only way they could overcome that is to do away with the raising of pigs. Because they were the carriers, the major carriers of those parasites. Also, waterfowl was not a biblical food. It was because of the fact that they were creating contagions and illnesses. And uh, parasites were being spread to the people. And they also needed to bury their feces and not just defecate on the road like you see in San Francisco and L.A. These are age-old things to improve your health. And there's a lot of other secrets that shouldn't be secret that can help you have better health. And that, you know, was it say in Third John uh, chapter 1 verse 2 or something about uh, above all else, I want you to have health and prosper. And that's that's why we're having this. But I want you to prosper in the knowledge of the gospel. And I'm just bringing up these viruses so that you... Well, also because it's in the news and there are some things that you can do and we'll get to that uh, to protect yourself. I mean, more than just washing your hands. And uh, so anyway, what is the actual name of the COVID-19 that's what they call it now. They, we're not supposed to call it Wuhan. That's supposed to be racist, which is ridiculous. But we're supposed to call it COVID-19. Well, that's not actually its name. Its actual name is SARS. Yes, it's a SARS uh, virus. And it's just another strain of the SARS virus, which is why it's very contagious. Uh, but it's SARS-CoV-2. That's what its actual real name is. And classification, because it's telling you something about the virus when you read that classification. So what does uh, SARS stand for? Severe Acute Respiratory Syndrome. That's what SARS stands for. Uh, COVID means it's a corona-type virus. And two means it's not the first one. <laughs> and... Uh, uh, I'm I'm kind of surprised that they refer to it as two, because there's there were 
several different corona uh, spreading of viruses. So that that's still in, in a classification. This may be slightly different than the second uh, SARS coronavirus that was going on, and I haven't researched that. And you have to get into that genome in order to know what the heck is going on. And they haven't written that much about it yet. But anyway, this uh, COVID-19 threat that the media is reporting uh, is actually not that big a threat. We just showed you that most of the people who get it don't even show any symptoms. Some of the people who get it show greater symptoms. Just had a 103-year-old Chinese lady survive the coronavirus, and she's doing okay. And she's 103. That's the danger area. You know, anything over 80 or 70, actually, they say. I'm over 70. I just had a coronavirus, which appears to be that one. Are we are we suffering from something else rather than the coronavirus that is actually doing more damage to society? And I coined the phrase lemming effect. Uh, uh, talking to somebody, I said, it's the lemming effect. And uh, then I looked up lemming effect. It's a real thing. There really is a thing called the lemming effect. Somebody else has already named it. It didn't originate with me. I thought I was being original. But the lemming effect, and there's a couple different definitions of it, but uh, refers to a phenomenon wherein crowds of people across various fields of life exhibit a certain kind of behavior for no reason other than the fact that the majority of their peers do so. Many psychologists even argue that human beings are conditioned by nature to follow the large group instead of undertaking the risk of independent thought and action. So that's an actual definition of the limiting effect. And I thought of the limiting effect when I saw a person being interviewed at Costco, I've, I've known people who went to Costco and they said that there were all these people grabbing toilet paper and there was video of this, of people grabbing toilet paper and, and other things and loading it up and trying to buy all kinds and they had to limit the number of packages that you could take. And uh, somebody asked one of the individuals, why are you buying toilet paper? And their answer was, everybody else is. And that's why they were buying so much toilet paper. I know other people went to the same town, went to different stores, not Costco. And there was no run on the toilet paper. The, the shelves were stocked full. There wasn't any, any kind of shortage apparent at all. Yet, if you went in certain items in Costco, there were shortages showing up. And there were lines outside the store. What's going on? Well, a certain mentality, Costco is a bulk food place, sells a lot of, you know, everything in large quantities. You know, you don't buy one thing at peanut butter. You have to buy like two. And, you know, the pies are huge and the pizzas are all big. It's a, it's appealing to people who have this idea of stocking up. So, guess what? The habit of going to Costco is strong amongst, amongst preppers. So they all went down there and they cleaned off the shelves in a short period of time. That has to do with the limiting effect. That, But the limiting effect, also remember in the definition, across various fields of life. 
Some of those people were doctors. Some of those people were nurses. Some of those people were plumbers. Uh, some of those people were in uh, retired or all kinds of walks of life. But some sort of behavior became constant in those people where they all were going down there and buying lots and lots of toilet paper and uh, stocking up. And vitamin C, they're rationing vitamin C. There are other things uh, that they're rationing uh, because of this virus scare, which really isn't that scary. Uh, and they, they, there's a number of those statistics that were popping up. And I'm, I'm looking here at my notes. I should have organized them a little bit better. Infectious diseases experts predict that the coronavirus could infect anywhere uh, from 20 to 70% of the world's adult population. I mean, it's in Brazil, it's in Argentina, it's all over the world already. You can almost guarantee everybody is going to get exposed to the coronavirus no matter what your precautions are. And that, and people in the CDC know this. What they're trying to do is slow the spread. And part of that be, uh, because experts are right, if they're right, if they're right, <laughs> a doubling of the number infected every six days resulting in two million sick by the first of May. But there are only one million hospital beds throughout the U.S with 65% of them already occupied at any given time, meaning 100% of all hospital beds may be filled by the end of April. What happens next? Well, we're going to actually show you some solutions that have been around for many, many years uh, so that that's not a problem. And now, it's it may be a problem with certain people who already have respiratory I've had respiratory problems since I was a little kid. You know, the, when I was a little kid, the doctors predicted I wouldn't make it to 20. I'm over 70. So, doctor predictions are not always accurate. I always joke that I've outlived all my doctors. I actually stopped going to doctors when I was 14. I went back a few times, but I, and they just reaffirmed the lesson that I, I learned. Now, I'm not against doctors. Doctors can save your life, and there's all kinds of things that they know and skills that they can go. But this addiction to going to the doctor as if it is your salvation, that's not that's not necessarily a healthy position to be taking. You can find out lots of different solutions for lots of different problems without necessarily going to medical institutions. And what happens, many medical practitioners get stuck in a rut of thinking that a certain way to do things is the way we should all do things. And the fact is, we're more varied than that. And there's a a little bit of that limbing uh, effect built into the idea that we have to run to the doctor, run to the hospital, run and get antibiotics. AMA states the people who have ready access to antibiotics, they can get them any time they get sick, are sick more often. They say that. They tell you that. But people keep running back, and there are other solutions. There are other things you can do so that you are in good health and prosper. And so we will talk about some of those things. So, 
what happened, uh, and we have an article up on, and I'll probably expand that article over the week if I get the time, on uh, the Spanish flu. It's on our vaccine page that talks about vaccines. And we're not anti-vaxxers. If you want to get a vaccine, go ahead and get a vaccine. But understand the power of vaccines and the limitation of vaccines. Most vaccines do not give you 100% immunity. They don't give you forever immunity. This is their statements. You can go look these up. We have them quoted. They give you a temporary immunity. And maybe if they come up with a vaccine, you can go get that flu vaccine. It will give you a temporary immunity. But all those people that got sick and never showed any symptoms, they have a permanent immunity. Probably a lifetime immunity. Long-lasting immunity. So that's really what you want. How did they get that? How did they get the virus and not even show symptoms? How did other people get it, show some symptoms? You know, the common symptom is that you run a fever and it just knocks you on your, you know, puts you in bed. You just get absolutely tired and exhausted. That's happened with everybody here. They just, they just, it just drained them for a day or two days. And even when they got back up on their feet, because we got up on our feet and did chores, we, we didn't all get sick at once so that everybody was sharing the workload. They they started getting better. Then they had this dry cough, <coughs> you know, where you have this congestion in your chest. Uh, my congestion wouldn't have been so bad, except I also broke my rib at the same time doing chores <laughs> in a minor accident here. And so coughing became a very painful thing, but then we dealt with that. We're 100 miles to the doctor so we didn't we didn't go to the doctor we just dealt with it because we're very skilled in this because we've been doing it for a long time but anyway if we go back to 1918 back to world war one there was a thing came out the spanish flu spanish flu came and went just like this flu will come and go lots of people died in the spanish flu epidemic that was worldwide traveled all over the world they just recently and fairly recently dug up some people who died of the Spanish flu in order to get samples of the Spanish flu. They dug them up and they were died in Alaska, so they were buried in permafrost and they've been frozen in the permafrost ever since. They dug them up to get samples, genetic samples of the Spanish flu to test it. So this is what they do in these things like the Wuhan Institute is they gather the, some of the most deadly diseases and they put them in this building and uh, have people coming and going and supposedly they have this under control, hopefully. But anyway, uh, they found out it's not extremely virulent. It, 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 wasn't, it was a little bit more contagious than some flus, but it wasn't more deadly than some flus. I'm not sure how they test all this and figure this out. But... Uh, so they wanted to go back and look at why did so many people die from the Spanish flu? Because a lot of people did die from, from the Spanish flu when it went through. We won World War One. Likely, this has actually uh, been not hotly debated, fairly well accepted, that we won World War One because the Germans got Spanish flu first. And they named it Spanish flu not because they were racist, but because... 
that's when it was in Spain, it got the name Spanish flu. It probably didn't come from Spain. It probably came from the Middle East, uh, or not the Middle East, but from Asia. Somewhere in Asia, most flus come from Asia. By way of the Middle East, it got into the German trenches, and they got the flu first. And they were trying to deal with the flu there, and that devastated their military, which is kind of what germ warfare is all about. They were toying with, uh, you know, poison gas and and that sort of thing. I don't believe the Spanish flu was the result of germ warfare, but the reality is it was the Spanish flu that devastated the German troops more than us. And it, it weakened the German resolve to continue the war. But anyway, why did so many people die in the Spanish flu? And what did they discover in treating the Spanish flu that you can use right today to make your family safer in the days to come when you eventually are exposed to the coronavirus? Now, I, I personally think the coronavirus is going to peter out. Uh, a lot of people are going to get sick. Some people are going to die. But when we look back on it, much like they did with the swine flu, everybody was worried about the swine flu, got to get swine flu shot that they were coming out with, and they people died from the swine flu shot. Almost more people were devastated by the swine flu shot than devastated by the swine flu. Swine flu didn't go very far. It petered out, disappeared. The fact that this is showing up so late in the flu season means that this flu is probably going to peter out as well. It might not, uh, but the likelihood of it petering out is is pretty strong based on past history. Based on the fact that we know that more than half of the people that are exposed develop lifetime immunity. People who haven't had it, I don't want to get it... Uh, and they say, you know, I, I, and they, but the reality is they may have already had it. They may be already immune. And we show this in, on, in the article on vaccines at preparingyou.com. Uh, the, according to their records, 95% of the people who got polio never showed any symptoms for that. Which means that by the time they came out with a polio vaccine, most of the people that who lived in areas where there had been a polio outbreak, were already immune. And so some people will ask, well, why did people keep getting polio? Well, Salt, who invented the vaccine, says the reason they kept getting polio is they were getting it from the vaccine. That That's, that's congressional testimony. And you can go look it up. We have footnotes right on the page. That And still today, people are getting polio from the vaccine. That's according to the CDC. You know, I mean, if I posted that on Google, they'd probably censor me as false information. But the CDC recently published, fairly recently published, that all the cases of polio that they were detecting in Syria and in the Congo were from the vaccine, not from the wild virus. That's what they say. You're not going to hear that on the news. It's going to skew your view and understanding of these diseases. They're going to tell you that the vaccine is your salvation. 
We have the same problem with people who study the Bible and tell you that all you have to do is believe in the in Jesus and you're saved. And then they proceed to give you a false view of Jesus. They paint a picture of Jesus that just isn't so. They paint a picture, they outline the teachings of Jesus that is missing critical elements of what Jesus actually taught and what the early church actually did. They skip over that. And they tell you all you have to do is believe in Jesus and you're automatically saved. That is not the way it works. So, what else did they discover in back in 1918 when they were dealing with this uh, flu virus that was, which could have been a coronavirus? I actually haven't checked that out. I haven't looked at the <laughs> the RNA uh, factors of the uh, uh, Spanish flu, but it could have been the fact that they discovered it in 1960. The first coronavirus that they discovered doesn't mean that it wasn't around before. It's just that's when they discovered it. It's like like Christopher Columbus discovering America. America was already discovered. Chris didn't discover it yet. Other people had been here. Other people lived here. They already knew it was here. It's not like they invented the U.S. It's just that they, they finally came into their consciousness that this this giant continent of America was here. And so they began to pursue that continent and explore that continent, but that was their choice. So, what, uh, what, what did we learn from the Spanish flu that can help us in this supposed flu pandemic that is traveling across? And then how can we relate that to what is going on in the Bible and on our understanding of the Bible because uh, there's a lot going on that people just don't seem to quite grasp or understand concerning the danger or lack of danger and where the real danger is at and that's what we'll be discussing in the second half and some of the solutions that you can follow to help protect your family and your community from any pandemic that may come along. We'll be right back. We talk a lot about the kingdom here and we talk a lot about what most churches are afraid to talk about or don't even know to talk about, which is what the first century church was really doing. But just talking about it is not enough. We encourage everybody to join us in their local neighborhoods, in their local communities, to find out more about what they can do to seek the kingdom of God and His righteousness. Gather with others who are already starting this road or starting to turn around and do things differently. Join us on thelivingnetwork.org or at hisholychurch.org. Go to the network links or go to preparingyou.com. Join the network there. It's all the same, and we'll try to hook you up with people in your local area. They will not be perfect. They don't walk on water. They are not necessarily saints, but they are talking about seeking the kingdom of God and His righteousness. And join us on Facebook, facebook.com, His Holy Church, all one word. 
join us there. We'll give you updates so you can start doing some studying and thinking about these things and start looking into these things for yourselves. You must become a doer of the Word. So, welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom. So, anyway, in talking about the Spanish flu, how many people died of the Spanish flu? Well, 39 million, one estimate. Uh, how many people got it? 500 million. Worldwide, there were, it was all over uh, the world, as I said. It was traveling everywhere. It was not eradicated by a vaccine. It simply petered out and disappeared. If the statistics we see going on on that cruise ship are correct, uh, there were probably not 500 million people who got the Spanish flu, but probably closer to a billion people or more got the Spanish flu, but also developed lifetime immunity. This is how it peters out. This is one of the ways that it peters out. There's another factor that we'll get to. But... The people simply become immune, enough people become immune, it no longer is being transmitted from one person to the next because they become immune. So somebody gets exposed, they don't, they don't replicate the virus because they're immune to it. Their body has knows, oh, that's not me, I'm not replicating that. And so it stops reproducing in society. They stop re-replicating this virus as if it is a part of them. They realize that it's not and they don't replicate it. And the more people you have in your society that get and develop that natural immunity, the stronger your society are. Even the people who get sick get better. They strengthen the immunity of the whole society because of the fact that they are no longer going to be spreading that virus from one person to the next. And so this is how you make your society stronger is the nature that you confront the illness, you get better, and the whole society is stronger for it. And the whole society is healthier for it. So uh, what were some of the other things? Why did so many people die of that virus if it wasn't more virulent than a lot of the other viruses that are going around? Well, one reason was they... The patent on aspirin had run out, and so that meant anybody could produce aspirin. There was no limitation on it, and lots and lots of people were producing aspirin and providing it at a lower and lower price, and doctors were using that aspirin to treat this new flu virus because there was an abundance of that particular remedy, and they were told... And there's a little bit of the limiting effect in the medical society. They're told, do this, do that, and they all start doing it because that's what you go to college to learn. You learn to do it the way that you're told to do it by the so-called experts that went before you. I mean, the guy who originally realized that we needed to wash our hands after leaving the morgue before we went up and delivered babies because we were carrying contaminated tissue and, uh, and, and elements from the morgue where we were handling diseased dead bodies into the operating room where we're delivering babies and women were dying. And he said, we need to wash before we make that transition. 
he was put in an institution as a crazy guy. Yes, <laughs> he said, wash your hands. And now, of course, that's one of the major remedies to slow down the spread of the virus is to wash your hands when you're out in public. Don't be shaking hands with everybody. Don't be, you know, kissing everybody. You know, that's what it says in the Bible that we're to greet our fellow Christians with a kiss. Well, probably not during flu season. Okay, you're spreading it. Now, some people rationalize that. Yeah, go ahead and spread it because then we get it over with quicker. And if you're not going to fill up the few hospital beds that are available to you, I guess there's some logic to that. But I don't encourage it. It will get around quick enough. There's no reason to go out and try to get contaminated. But the fact is, is that everybody who gets it and then gets over it, whether they show symptoms or not, are strengthening the whole community. Now, if you develop a vaccine, you may prevent a lot of people from getting it now, but there's no telling what's going to happen two years, three years, five years down the road because you're not strengthening your immune system you're stimulating your immune system with a vaccine. If you want it, go ahead and get it. I'm not saying anything against it. That way I'm just saying what it is, what you can expect from it. And you can go to the CDC website and see that they say the vaccines give you a temporary immunity. And in many vaccines that are being sold, they know maybe only have a 40% effectiveness. In other words, you still may get sick. Some people say, well, I got sick, but it wasn't as bad. How do you know it wasn't as bad? Did you have a blind placebo <laughs> test? No. The fact is a lot of people probably are getting sick from the vaccine, and they don't even know it was the vaccine that made them sick. But that's my guess, and that's not necessarily science. Correlation is is not causation, but uh, just same as they talk about autism. Uh, if you look at the records, as a lot of people don't want to do, some people have started doing, the people who don't get any vaccination whatsoever have a far less uh, likelihood of getting uh, autism. That's just a fact. And uh, does that mean that vaccines are causing autism? No. But there is a correlation. Just like the, the fact that people got a polio vaccine, does that mean polio cured was cured by vaccines? No. That's correlation. That's not causation. And the reality, what caused polio to disappear is the same thing that caused the flu virus, uh, the Spanish flu virus to disappear, was the fact that thousands, millions of people were developing a lifetime immunity of being exposed and their natural immune system, their God-given immune system was making them safe from uh, further infection. So the aspirin was actually what they were giving doses of aspirin. Uh, I can't remember exactly the amount, but I mean it's like a handful of aspirin that they were uh, being given. Uh, actually, you can probably go to the Wikipedia, look up Spanish flu, and uh, under aspirin poisoning, uh, 2009 paper published in the Journal of Clinic Infectious Diseases, Karen Starko proposed that aspirin poisoning contributed substantially to the fatalities. She based this on a report of symptoms in those 
people dying supposedly from the flu were actually dying from the medical treatment given them by the military back in 1918. They were giving them this large doses, 31 grams, 8 to 31 grams of aspirin, 31 grams of aspirin per day. That's a lot of aspirin. And they they were producing hyperventilation in 33% of the, the patients, as well as lung edema in 3% of the patients. And they were literally killing their patients with this aspirin. And you can go read the article and find that out. What they did find helped immensely with the patients that got it. They, they had the same problem running out of beds and they were putting people on cots and they were putting people in tents. That's right. They were putting patients in tents outside and they show nurses moving the people outside of the tents in the daytime when the sun's warm and everything and the fresh air is blowing or around, not let's say blowing. When we say blowing, you're usually having trouble standing up out here in the mountains. That's blowing. A breeze is not blowing. But anyway, they moved them out on these uh, stretchers and cots and, and these beds outside of the tents and exposed them to sunlight. And they saw like uh, a drop in the death rate from about 40%, these are, these are all severely sick people, there's not 40% death rate with Spanish flu, but uh, the severely ill people that were hospitalized and in bed, sick, with partial pneumonia and other factors as well, by exposing them to sunlight and fresh air, they went from 40% death rate to 13% death rate almost immediately. And, the rate of infection of workers almost disappeared. The workers stopped getting infected by the flu virus. Of course, many of those workers were those people who had that natural immunity. But exposure to sunlight, exposure to fresh air was making a huge difference. There's a lot of other studies that have, have come along some of them are only proving correlation, not causation. But the amount of sugar, there's been a number of articles that came out, even at the time that polio was around, that sugar in your diet, large amounts of sugar, or even any kind of amount of sugar, processed sugar in your diet, lowered your ability to not show symptoms of the disease. So getting off of uh, excessive amounts or even any amount of table sugar is really a good thing. Uh, one of the uh, patients who was on that cruise ship was saying that he said it was very important to stay hydrated. That is absolutely true. That you, It's very important if you get sick to stay hydrated. It will prevent a lot of that problems with your lungs. And this is usually attacking the lungs. Uh, but they were hydrating him with Gatorade. You can go look up Gatorade and find out what the chief ingredients of Gatorade. And after water, the chief ingredients of Gatorade is table sugar. It's full of sugar. Not what you want to be taking when you're sick. You want to keep your fluids up, but not with sugar water, which is what Gatorade is. The sucrose and, and table sugar is what's in that. So those are just a little helpful advice. Again, 
washing your hands and things like that. But now let's correlate this over to the gospel of the kingdom. Because that's that's an important factor in what we want you to... Because I believe that that will lead to your health more than other, more than any other thing. It will also begin to protect you from the limbing effect of running out and doing things because everybody else is getting vaccinated. Everybody else is getting toilet paper. Everybody else is running to the doctor for antibiotics every time they get sick. And even though the AMA states that if you do that, you're going to get sick more often. That's what's going to happen. But people are still doing it. And that disrupts a lot of what people want to think. But to me, the most important thing is we disrupt the false information about Jesus Christ, which a lot of people want to think as well. And we need to go a different way. Because we're not going to have as healthy a society. Also, uh, you know, when I, I look up some of these things, uh, I said I'm not sure what kind of flu virus the Spanish flu is. But it's an H1N1 influenza uh, lineage of that Spanish flu, which is slightly different uh, than what we, we see as the coronavirus. But it's still a flu virus and operates much in the same way. It's replicated in your living tissue or in the living tissue of some animal. It It is one of those ones that were connected with swine. Again, probably out of China. That's not a racist statement, despite what AOC says. It is simply because of their cultural a way in which they reproduce and feed themselves with growing pigs and waterfowl in the same place and then also uh, the close proximity of humans to this habitation of pigs and waterfowl, they have a tendency to come up with new strains of viruses and then that passes from one person to the next. I mean, we have... We know there's a U.S. presence there all the time looking for new viruses in that area because that's where they start from. If they catch it early, they can manufacture, this is not entirely without a monetary reward, they can manufacture a vaccine before that virus gets to the U.S. and they can sell you that vaccine. It's a multi-billion dollar business. So yeah, there are Americans over in China all the time Checking people for new strains of flu viruses. It's not racist. It's just the culture over there allows this to be produced. And so their way of dealing with it is to deal with it with vaccines. So that's, that's the effect that they have chosen to follow. I want to see you be able to develop a robust immune system in your community and the diet that enhances that immune system and practices and cultural practices and what we would call rituals and ceremonies, washing of your hands is a ceremony that will help protect you. When we all had the flu virus in here, some people didn't get it right away. Some people seem to have a longer incubation period. I think with my wife, it has always been that way. She's usually the last one to get sick. We're all over it, and then she gets sick, and then we take care of her because she was taking care of us when we were all sick or helping do the chores or whatever. You want that in your community. 
so that when somebody gets deathly ill, other people in the community are there for you. This is part of seeking the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And this is something that Americans have lost. And I I shared this with a number of people that don't seem to understand how a free society operates. And the way it operates is you have to care about your neighbor as much as you care about yourself. You have to care about your neighbor's health as much as you care about yourself. This is why we don't defecate on the street. This is why we wash our hands because we care about it. We're not just trying to save ourselves. We're trying to save our neighbor because we care about our neighbor just as much. If he gets sick, we're also there for him. I just had a call last night. A neighbor has uh, multiple myeloma cancer, and he's going. And he right now he's taking care of his mother, and he's he's going to be needing taking care of. And you know we already have people in the community splitting his firewood and helping him with that. And uh, that's what we do. That's what we should be cultivating in society. But the system that we have now says that's not your job. That's the government's job to look after your neighbor, to take care of your neighbor. And we have this situation we've talked about and wrote about several times in Oregon where the majority of people holding political office in Oregon are felons and have no right to their office according to the Oregon Constitution. We spell this out in Article 2, Section 22 page at Preparing You. We show you. And the reason we show you this, you know, that's their government. They can do what they want in that government. We're, We're trying to indict the people. The governor's a felon. The governor has no right to the office. According to the law, she must forfeit her office. And yet she closed all the schools in Oregon. They're all closed. All the kids are home. And so be it. Suddenly... Homeschooling is mandatory in Oregon, (laughs) which is fine with me. But the reality is she doesn't have any right to do that. She doesn't have any right to be in the governor's office. By law, it's very clear. It's not like, uh, geez, uh, that's an interpretation. No, it's a fact. But the people let her do that. They complain about her. You know, I mean, it was, she was the one who was having delegates, delegations from China, uh, when, uh, my son was up in the state capitol and came home with this new flu virus. <laughs> so anyway, I don't know. We, we, I can't guarantee that it was the coronavirus, but it's looking more and more like it was the coronavirus. Already made it all the way out here and got us all sick. We all survived. Even the 80, 90 year old lady, she survived. And, um, we're okay. We're, we're immune now. So I guess nature has taken its course. But we're not immune to the selfish nature that has become pervasive in our society where the people can sit around and complain about the governor. They could remove her at any time they want, but nobody has the will to do it. They don't know how to come together as a people and take care of the business the government of the people is responsible for. They don't know how to do it. They they have so long done nothing about it, they're not immune to corruption. 
As a matter of fact, some of them even know that their congressmen are corrupt and not, uh, you know, a part of, uh, you know, an honest government because they violated the same Article 2, Section 22. They make excuses. But I like the guy. He's a good guy. He's a liar. He's taking an oath to uphold the Constitution. He's not doing so. He's violating it. He has no right to his office. He must forfeit. That's what it says. Forfeit his office. And he is a felon. But they still want him in there. This is why term limits aren't going to do you any good. You have term limits now. It's called the boat. You've created this indirect democracy where you elect lawmakers for you who rule over you and tell you what is good and evil, what is right and wrong. And you can't, you have no control, no reins of control on them because you don't know how to come together as people. If, if you were still doing what the church did 150 years ago, you would be taking care of 100% of the social welfare of your society through your church and through charity. The way Christ commanded you to do it. And when you did that, you would be rebinding yourself to the people of your community. So the idea of coming together was not only easy, it was natural. Because you were already coming together to help take care of one another and to provide for one another and encourage one another. But because you haven't been doing that, you no longer have a robust immune system to corruption. And so corruption is staring you in the face. That's why we wrote the article, to show you your whole government is corrupt. The majority of the people holding political office in the state of Oregon are felons, have forfeited their right to the offices they occupy and the wages and salaries they're collecting. They have no right to it. I've seen where these uh, these so-called Americans, they want to think they're Americans, they say they pledge allegiance, but they don't put together simple ideas of a man is innocent until proven guilty. That is not applied in their life. They They judge people without even hearing their side of the story. They, they judge people and condemn people without giving them a day to defend themselves with sketchy evidence because they are bigoted and prejudiced. And it's because they are un-American. America, and if you live in France, you could be charged with a crime and you're guilty until you prove you're innocent. That's the way the French law works. In America, you're innocent until proven guilty. But people don't, that's not a part of their cultural thinking anymore. They think they're Americans because they've drawn a picture that says, I'm an American. I have American values. But in their day-to-day life, you clearly see them not having American values. You think you're healthy and you're eating poisons every day. You're just like those aspirin, those heavy doses of aspirin. 20 grams of aspirin. Can you imagine taking that every day? Even if you were healthy, you would get sick if you were doing that. And the doctors were prescribing it because they doctors know better. But doctors don't always know better. 
Just like when the doctor says, you know, we need to wash our hands when we, after handling dead people who died of disease and we go up to deliver a baby. He was, he was institutionalized as a crazy man, put in jail, locked up. It was years before people started to think, oh, you know, actually, he's right. Because he was dead already. <laughs> so, the fact is, is there are all kinds of things we're doing because of the lemming effect. Because we're following the herd. And Christ was not following the herd. The herd began to follow Christ because he was doing all these miracles. But even when he finally explained to them, you have to do it this way. You have to take love one another through faith, hope, and charity. To sacrifice for one another as I sacrifice for you. That's what Christ was showing you. We got people going around saying they're Christians and they're saying there's nothing you have to do to be a Christian. You just think a thought and you can save yourself. You just say this magic phrase and you're automatically saved. And they come to that interpretation because they take Paul out of the context of Paul. And they take Paul out of the context of Christ. You know, I, I don't know how many times I've said it where a pastor is saying, you know, I say that Jesus says, not those who say, but those who do the will of the Father. And he says, oh, but he said that before the crucifixion, after the crucifixion, it didn't apply anymore. That is crazy. That is insane thinking. Nice guy. But crazy. Insane thinking. That's not the way it works. Christ knew where he was going. He knew where he was taking us. He was pointing us the way. That's what Christianity was called, the way. And the way was that you cared about your neighbor. And yet you see people in Costco fighting over bags of toilet paper. Hoarding. Hoarding is a clear sign you don't care about your neighbor as much as you care about yourself. That That's insane. But... They think they're Christians. And lemmings thought they were running to food. Now, I really shouldn't give lemmings such a bad... There was a movie, I think Walt Disney made it, and they talk about lemmings. It was a short film. And the lemmings supposedly eat up all the food, and then they race around trying to find more food. And all they keep following all the other lemmings everywhere they go, supposedly. And they do do this to some degree. But they show a picture of the lemmings going over this cliff. And just chasing each other over the cliff. There's actually in the real filming of that movie, somebody's pushing them over. <laughs> and it's not a cliff, it's just a short drop. But it is a manufactured scene by Walt Disney or by Disney Productions. But what's going on in the world today is not manufactured. We'll be back to Keys of the Kingdom. So welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom. So let's sum up some of these things. This is kind of all part of our Project 1619 uh, criticism, which is this idea that they're changing the way Americans think so that we all become lemmings. I just said at the end of the last section that, that uh, what we're seeing is not manufactured. Well, actually, in a way, it is manufactured. Uh is there a vast conspiracy somewhere? I'm sure somebody is looking at this and seeing, you know, they can take advantage of this and politicize uh, these events and everything. And, you know, it was uh, Chinese officials who said that the, uh, the, the virus may have been brought to China by 
American military. And uh, other people interpreted this to mean that it was manufactured by American military and brought here. I all that really doesn't matter. It's 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 created whether it's manufactured in an individual or other. You know, some of the coronaviruses are only affecting animals, and but occasionally they jump species and move to humans, and because of the complex prop, uh, properties of being replicated inside of the human cell or in a swine cell or in a bird cell or a bat cell. And so this is the way these viruses, but all of nature has a way of developing a natural immunity. We have that way, but we're often getting in the way of that way. The same as we're not following the way of Christ. And one of the things that keeps us from following the way of Christ is to believe in false religion. To believe in, you know, those of you who understand what false religion is, religion is how you take care of one another. That's it, it, it's an action word. Religion is what you do. Threskia in the Greek. It's what you do. And of course we have religions now that say you don't have to do anything. Well, they're right in that, that, that it's true what they're saying. You don't do anything to save yourself. You do not earn salvation where God now owes you salvation. That's true. But not doing what Christ said to do is evidence that you're not really a believer. Because the word belief means compelled to action. It is what compels you to action. And if you're not doing what Christ said, the specifics that he required of his followers, commanded of his followers, then you're not really a follower of Christ. That's just the way it is. So, Nature will find a way. Nature is going to create... People think that, you know, God is going to punish it. There's a numerous people I saw on Facebook saying this is a punishment from God. It's a reward from God. It's a punishment from God. It depends on how you receive it or react to it. It will make you stronger or it will make you weaker. It will even kill you, depending on how you come about things. Now, we're all going to face death someday. But are we all going to live by the righteousness of God? And condemning other people because they're not doing what God said is not our job. It is preaching the gospel of the kingdom and the righteousness of God so that people begin to pursue that. And that means that we have to come together in love and nothing will give you more immunity to the evil of the world, the corruption, the viruses, the replication of lies in the world than to seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness. It will awaken you. You won't be awoke, but you will be awakened. So that you begin to see, I need to do things differently. And you will see solutions and uh, what are the possibilities because you're going the other way. So anyway, like I said, don't forget, uh, watch your sugar intake, watch your carbohydrate intake because carbohydrates are just complex sugars that when you eat lots of carbohydrates that's in some way like eating lots of sugar processed sugar is just sugar sugar i mean it's already down to the sugar state but carbohydrates are broken down in the body to become sugars and so 
we've been experimenting with a keto diet because we we raise cows and sheep, and so that's that's we have lots of meat and we don't have to drive to the store to get it <laughs> in the field. But that it's an inter- look at diet, look at a lot of different kinds of diet, look at intermittent fasting, and and study these things. Maybe we'll end up putting some programs on. We have some people who are very knowledgeable in this area. We'll maybe have them as guests on programs in the future. We've wanted to do that for a long time. But um, uh, according to the Surgeon General, the other thing was that uh, the Surgeon General of the Massachusetts State Guard. The efficacy of open air treatment has been absolutely proven and one has only to try it to discover its value. They did this with tuberculosis patients and then so they decided to also do it with flu patients and with tremendous results. Sunshine, really a good thing to help cut down. Viruses are destroyed by the light of the sun. Uh, surprise, surprise. Uh, so you want to bring the light into your life in every aspect, not just the sun, but you want to bring the way and the truth and the light into your life to give you immunity to all these other dangerously replicating evils of the world. And so what concerns me is this lemming-like mindset of Americans that allows them to be easily panicked by the manipulating media madness misrepresenting available facts. That they often report the facts in their stories, but they don't put it together. They can't see it. They can't see their ignorance because they are full of vanities. With great swelling words, they're actually delivering you into bondage. With their barrage of these... uh, uh, Bias narratives, the people are are being led down a way of thinking that is not good. In Christianity, the modern church, uh, the televangelists are leading people away from Christ, away from what the early church was doing. You can just go back, like I say, 150 years and see what the church was doing. It was taking care of all the social welfare of the people through faith, hope, and charity. We're not doing that anymore. We're taking care of 90% of the social welfare of the people through forced contributions, through men who call themselves benefactors but exercise authority one over the other, through what Jesus calls the fathers of the earth. And we explain all this at Preparing You. With almost a century of public education, the views of American history has been altered so completely that they no longer know how to function in a viable and free society. You could get rid of people like Kate Brown and all these people that are doing these things that everybody's complaining about. They could get rid of them easily. They could drain the swamp easily. I mean, it's still a burden, but it would be light compared to what they have in store for them coming down the pike with their cap and trade, which is just a slush fund of money that the the people in power can use to guarantee their uh, their PERS pensions and all that stuff, which has bankrupted the the country. Again, they're out there these you've created offices of power so people who seek power seek office and people who seek power want more and more power. They're addicted to power. 
the same as Americans have become addicted to sloth. And now we see in the character of America uh, characteristics and a culture that is not what was great in America. America got rid of slavery. It took them a while to do it. Thousands, hundreds of thousands of people died, but they got rid of slavery. They have reintroduced slavery, a core V system of slavery like that of Egypt. They have returned to the bondage of Egypt because they don't know the truth about their history. They don't know the truth about the Bible. They're not attending to the weightier matters of law, justice, mercy, and faith. They don't even know how to come together and do that. That ability and discipline is essential in a viable republic or in a free society. People have become so addicted to their dependence upon government programs, government uh, solutions, government answers, that they keep, that they're looking to the president more and more and to the government more and more to protect their children, to protect their health, to protect their parents, to provide their social welfare. None of that was in America. 150 years ago. We did it ourselves. We did it in communities. And that's what made society stronger. That's how we were able to end slavery in America. But we've returned back, I said, like I said, to the bondage of Egypt. And, and globally, this has taken place. You know, the CDC's worst case scenario, according to their reports, is 1.7 million deaths from this virus. We have more than twice the people that we had back with the Spanish flu. And the Spanish flu killed 20, what did I say, 26, 28 million people. I mean, there's varying figures that we don't have as accurate a figure. Far more lethal, yet I just showed you that large numbers of the people died because of the type of medical treatment they were receiving. When they simply casually took care of the people... Uh, expose them to sunlight and fresh air with people who cared about them that were very happy to do this because they also noticed immediately there was less infection amongst them. We already have rules that are coming down that uh, people who uh, are working in the hospitals have to go to the hospitals and work in them by law. Back to the 1619 project, you know, one of the, one of the people who was opposing that in the 1776 project was Bob Woodson, which I mentioned before in previous programs. He says, America is a remarkable place where you can be the agent of your own uplift if you are willing and able to compete. Well, we're not just competing against each other. We're competing against the, the forces of nature, competing against the coronavirus. We're competing against our ignorance. We're competing against the media madness that is misleading the people. Even J.R. Tolkien wrote, but he that sows lies in the end shall not lack of a harvest and soon he may rest from toil and deed while others reap and sow in his stead. And that's what we see has gone on in the colleges and in the high schools and in the grade schools where they failed to teach history and now they're teaching a false history is that the kids are spreading the very lies they've been taught. We've allowed them to be taught because we have been apathetic 
and slothful in the responsibility of being the raisers of our children. Blaise Pascal once said, Truth is so obscure in these times and falsehood so established that unless we love the truth, we cannot know it. You won't even see it. If you want to believe in what you already know more than you want to know the truth, you will be more easily deceived and remain in that deception. Falsehood flies and the truth comes limping after it so that when men come to be undeceived, it is too late. The jest is over. The table hath had its effect. The tale has had its effect. Like a man who hath thought of a good repartee when the discourse is changed or the company parted or like a physician who hath found out an infallible medicine after the patient is dead. Society is being confronted, that's Jonathan Swift, society is being confronted that we need to change the way in which we think because the way in which we think has already been changed by others. We have accepted the lie and can hardly recognize the truth. This this is a problem that is constantly befalling us that uh, here at His Holy Church and in the network where people are saying, how do you tell people? They think they know already. You know, and Christ had the same problem. You say you know already, so your sin remains. You You cannot find the kingdom of God and His righteousness if you continue to desire to covet your neighbor's goods. If you continue to want to empower men who want power over your neighbor to provide you, you have become accustomed to living at the expense of your neighbor. And this is why you have been changed by this process. We've, and and the very people who cry racism and hate speech, are the ones who permeate hate throughout society. They're the ones who perpetuate hate in society. You know, Booker T. Washington, who was, you know, every black person should be a student of Booker T. Washington and Thomas Sowell and some of these guys who are so bright, so wise, so awakened. He said, associate yourself with people of good quality, for it is better to be alone than in bad company. He also said, egotism is the anesthetic that dulls the pain of stupidity. Egotism, where you think you know already. I mean, you can go on, Booker T said, few things can help an individual more than to place responsibility on him and to let him know that you trust him. So, we need to learn to trust one another. And that's why we're supposed to sit down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands. We need to be uh, helping one another, caring about one another, show up for one another. We A lot of our congregations are spread out so people can only call in. We need to show up on those calls and talk to one another. We need to find ways in which to find those other people out there who are willing to see that 
We cannot be a free society with rights if we will not be a society that comes together to exercise our responsibilities. If you separate the responsibility from the individual, he will soon have no rights left. Character, not circumstances, makes the man. Another Booker T. Washington. Because, why did he say that? Because character is power. That's how we grow as a people. It's the exercise of that character, the Christian culture of taking care of one another through faith, hope, and charity rather than force, fear, and fealty, which is the way America has gone. And it's altering America at every level of society. No greater injury can be done to any youth than to let him feel that because he belongs to this or that race, he will be advanced in life regardless of his own merits or effort. That's Booker T. Washington. That's not what blacks are telling people today. They're saying you're victims. That all your failures are somebody else's fault. They're not your fault. It's because of somebody else's privilege. It's nonsense. You know, your success or failure is on your shoulder. I'm not saying that there aren't people that will block you, but they will make you stronger, like those viruses that you may get. What doesn't kill you will make you stronger. But if you only live for yourself and not for all of society... Christ didn't come to save himself. He came to save others. That's the nature of Christ. That's the character of Christ. That is the character of power. To be willing to lay down your life for others. And people won't even gather together for an hour for others. For the sake of others. As Christ commanded. No man who continues to add something to the material, intellectual, and moral well-being of the place in which he lives is left long without proper reward. But he who sucks the life out of his community shall reap also a reward. He shall if he seeks the reward of unrighteousness, he will receive receive the reward of unrighteousness which is destruction nothing ever comes to one that is worth having except as a result of hard work again Booker T. Washington I just have all these quotes down here I don't know why I slipped them all in but I thought they were so appropriate in, in the midst of my 1619 notes to thwart this ridiculous teaching of American history and the reality is many of the people who, who actually look at what is now coming out, these 1776ers who are objecting to this thing, which is already becoming curriculum. You have to go back in the back shows to hear more about that. They don't know the history because they still, it's like, you know, supposedly all the socialists are over there on the left. And and the conservatives are all over here on the right. I was explaining to my grandsons just the other day. Conservative just means slow to change. Conservative. Slow to try new things. Slow to uh, explore beyond the norm. And that's because they're conservative. 
Now, the conservative, uh, if you're using it as a noun describing a political movement, it's going to be right to life and, you know, traditional marriage and, and these other things. But the reality is the conservative people over there on the so-called right are all for public education, the state taking care of your parents, which is the Corbin of the Pharisees, which was making the word of God to none effect. They're all for Medicare, Medicaid, and government health care. They don't want the extreme government health care that you see over there on the left, but they still want that. I don't, I'm not saying do away with Social Security. I think that, you know, we were real close a number of years ago to privatizing Social Security like they did in Sweden. And I think you could even do it more so than they did in Sweden. But the Swedish uh, Social Security is privatized. And there's ways in which you could do that which would be a boon to society even with all the other problems that we have. Because it would begin that process of repentance, that process of turning around, that process of not being addicted to the benefactors who exercise authority, the fathers of the earth that Christ told us not to pray to. But modern Christians pray to all the time. Because the modern Christian church is not taking care of the needy of society. They're actually sending you to those benefactors who exercise authority. Which is... According to that covetous practice of seeking benefits by men who take away from your neighbor has made you merchandise, has brought you back into the bondage of Egypt, has entangled you again in the yoke of bondage. All predicted in the New Testament by Peter, by Paul, by Jesus Christ. But people don't see it because they think they're saved because they think they love Jesus. But they have been painted a picture of Jesus that is not whole. And their egotism is the anesthetic that dulls the pain of that stupidity of not really knowing the real Christ. Now, a lot of people have seen some of Christ. They love that. They believe in that. But you need to pursue the kingdom of God and his righteousness. So you need to pursue the whole truth, which Christ is that whole truth. And so you need to know the whole Christ, who also said and commanded his church, his disciples, to make the people sit down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands, so that there could be a daily ministration based on pure religion. If you don't know what pure religion is, you need to find out what that is. If you don't know what Jesus was talking about when he commanded them to sit down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands so that there could be a daily ministration. Because see, your daily ministration is the Social Security Department, the Welfare Department, the Food Stamp Department. That's your daily min- That's your daily bread. You can say the Our Father, but your daily bread comes from men who exercise authority. That's going to change the nature of your society, the nature of your country. And it's going to make you susceptible to the virus of lies. Because you won't be able to, even if you wanted to see the truth. So, anyway, we're out of time today. And uh, there's a lot more that we could say. 
but uh, we'll have to save it for next time on Keys of the Kingdom. So go to preparingyou.com or hisholychurch.org, join the network, start gathering together as Christ commanded, and start preparing to take care of one another as Christ intended. God bless. You have been listening to The Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. For more information on the educational ministry provided by His Holy Church and Brother Gregory, including services, counseling, lectures, books, and other audio materials, please write to His Church at Summer Lake, Box 10, Summer Lake, Oregon, 97640. You can also find us on the web at www.hisholychurch.net.